CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. Again, that's 1 888 Ask CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We just want to once again encourage you to give us a call. This is live radio, and if you've been uh, reading your Bible, sharing your faith, someone's asked you a question you don't have a, you feel a good answer for, call us. That's why we're here. Maybe you come across something that looks like a contradiction in the Bible, or maybe something you've heard that maybe people think or say that it's in the Bible and it's not, please call us. That's why we're here for you. That number again, 8888-ASK-CSN. Joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker in the morning times here, Chosen Generation, Daryl Skinner from Calvary Chapel, Honolulu, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Aloha. aloha, Mike, and aloha to all the listeners out there. Great to be on to Every Man and Answer. Looking forward to the program today. And the great questions that always come in. It's just a thrill to hear people call and have great questions about God, about the Bible, about life, about counseling, whatever it might be, or they need prayer and being able to help them along in their faith and draw closer to the Lord and just know that the Lord's coming soon. And we're very excited to see what God's doing in each and every one of the lives of the listeners out there and to see how God is using their lives blessing in their lives. I love to hear Mike when they 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 want to contend for the faith and find out about this cult or that religion or find out about that scripture. And then they want to just uh, learn and grow and then be able to share it with others and be those soul winners, be those disciples that God's called us to be. So once again, Mike, it's great to be on with you and all the listeners out there to every man and answer. Always a blessing to be with you. And you mentioned that verse and I I think of that often when you stand up against the heresies of the day, no matter what form, which direction they come from, to earnestly contend for the faith. Daryl, what do you believe that means? Well, you know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're also told that we're to keep sound biblical doctrine. And we have our basic tenets of the faith, which is... uh, uh, salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, the Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, justification by faith. We have the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, being born again of the Holy Spirit. We also uh, find that we're to be a people that are to be sanctified, and we believe in marriage between one man and one woman. Uh, we believe when you're born a man, you're going to grow up to <laughs> when born a boy, you're going to grow up to be a man. When born a girl, you're going to grow up to be a young lady, and so on and so forth. These are biblical uh, aspects of sound biblical doctrine, and also to contend with the faith is to keep everything in context. As we study the Word of God to learn and to grow in it, and there's many deceptions out there, there's many deceivers out there, there's many errors and and uh, uh, heresies, as well as cults uh, that have false teachings, they have auxiliary books that they throw at people, and they try to get people to learn their auxiliary books instead of the Word of God. And thus we must uh, be uh, contending for the faith, which is to declare God's truth. You know, Jesus prayed in John seventeen seventeen. He said, Father, sanctify them with your truth, your word, your word is truth. And this is where we are sanctified. As we grow in God's word, the, the word of God is a sword of the spirit. We're to use it against the enemy, as well as against uh, the, the false teachers and false prophets of our day. Mike? 
Amen. So uh, being about daddy's business, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we always want to be sure we're really reading God's word. Let's go to the phones. We have Jeff on the line, Gillette, Wyoming. Hi and welcome. Yes. Hey, uh, okay, in the churches anymore, have the churches went soft because uh, they don't do an invitation? Hardly any of them do an invitation to come to Christ anymore. What do you guys think? Well, I always do. I feel that uh, they're there. The Holy Spirit brought them there. There's conviction of the Holy Spirit going on, recollection of your life, looking at all these things. Am I on the right road? Uh, Where will I be in eternity? All these questions that are there. And to not give an invitation at the end of a sermon, to me, is like running out of gas in the tractor before you bring the harvest in. And I think it's a tragedy that so many uh, people and churches and ministers miss this wonderful opportunity when the Holy Spirit is stirring people's hearts right then and there. Because a lot of them don't know. You know, they'll say, well, come up after the service, uh, you know, whatever— Well, I do that as well, but before I do that, I always have an altar call, basically praying with everyone and also over the radio, as you all know, to accept Christ as Savior. I believe strike when the iron's hot. I believe the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, is there. And so because of that, that might be the last chance they ever get to hear about Jesus wanting to forgive them of their sins, to accept them into uh, their heart and their life. And so I don't ever want to miss an opportunity to lead somebody into the kingdom of heaven. I remember when I was in the hospital and uh, when I opened my eyes after I came back from being dead for a couple of minutes, and I remember that as we're there in the room, uh, uh, they began to ask me what happened and I just began to share the Lord with them right then and there. I, I, you know, you don't need a church service to, uh, invite somebody to accept the Lord. But when they're already there by the Holy Spirit, or maybe handcuffs, somebody drug them in there, little heel marks all the way to their pew, uh, whatever the case is, they're there. God has spoke to him, and I really believe now, today, is the appointed day of salvation. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, when I think about the Word of God, and as it goes forth from the pulpit, and it should every Sunday, and every time there's a Bible teacher, a pastor teaching the Word of God, it says that the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, dividing soul and spirit, as well as uh, going into the very soul and marrow of the bone. And it, it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And when I read uh, Timothy, Second uh, Timothy especially, the, one of the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus are known as pastoral epistles, what pastors are to be doing in the church and in the pulpits and so forth. We read the following, Second Timothy chapter 4 says, I, Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He says to Timothy, he says, preach the word with an exclamation point. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will not heap, rather they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now here's your key. But you be watchful in all things, Timothy, as a pastor, Endure afflictions, 
Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Every pastor that preaches and teaches the Word of God must do the work of an evangelist. That is giving that invitation to come to know Christ, to receive Him as your Lord and Savior, to repent, meaning to go from unbelief to belief, and to turn to God instead of turning to the world and to the flesh. And this is our highest calling, to be soul winners. This is why Jesus died on the cross. It's also our highest calling to make disciples. We're not entertainers. We're educators. And this is the calling of every pastor. We're pastor teachers. Jesus was a great teacher. And he constantly was sharing the word of God with the disciples and with the multitudes. And we must do the same. And we lead people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's Jesus says, go ye therefore and preach the gospel, the good news. He died on the cross for his sins. He rose from the grave. He offers all who believe in him eternal and everlasting life. Yes, this is the calling of God for every pastor. We must return to this because, you know, so many times we the devil says, oh, just don't do it. I've heard, I've heard the voice. Don't do it. Don't give that invitation. There's nobody out there. Nobody's going to get saved. I don't know where they're at with the Lord. I don't know if they're backslidden. They could be a prodigal son or daughter. They could be coming into the church for the very first time. All I know is you keep giving that message of salvation. I remember one time I was teaching out of, I think it was Leviticus, and and uh, and it was like, oh, Lord, I'm not going to give an invitation after this one. It's just there was so much stuff that had nothing to do with salvation in a sense, what I was teaching in that particular passage. But the Lord prompted me, he said, go ahead. And I did. And this young gal raised her hand. She said, want to receive Christ because you don't know who's God's working on and going to work in and bring them to salvation. And it's so, so thrilling and exciting. And, and then, you know what, Mike, you and I both know we've never saved a soul. It's the Lord who saves. The Holy Spirit saves. He does that work. We've never saved anybody. I'm just, you and I and all, all pastors and everybody, we're all just ambassadors proclaiming the message of Christ for salvation. And God brings them in and he gets them saved. So it's a, it's a great blessing and we rejoice every time this happens. Mike, I'll give it back to you. Amen. Hope that answers it for you, Jeff. Yep. Uh, so, so what do you do? Uh, just pray for him to to do. Uh, I I would, you know, I I think it's a good idea to tell the pastor how important it is. Um, uh, it isn't that they're they don't care. I think a lot of times they just they just forget. And and uh, I I know that sounds kind of funny, but but you know if, if you're not going to catch any fish if you if you don't if you don't have a fishing pole. You're not going to get many converts unless you give them the invitation to accept Christ. So um, I don't just want people to have an intellectual understanding of Christ, such as you might get in a Bible study or a, 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 a you know a great teaching, but really, you really need to lead people to Christ. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We find this as we go back to Acts chapter 2, when when the Holy Spirit was moving amazingly among the people, and it wasn't just, well, pray about it and hope you figure it out. It was very clear that they had a message, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I think we have to sometimes explain what believe means, not just simply make acknowledgement of, because the Bible says the demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. Believe means to put all your faith, hope, and trust in. And I, I really believe that this is is important, as well as the message of repentance. 
I really do not believe that there is a true conversion unless there's repentance. The thief on the cross says, we deserve to be up here, but this man has done nothing. And then he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He confessed that he was a sinner. Um, the idea of just slipping Jesus in your pocket, climbing to the top. Uh, in other words, Jesus is one of my accessories. I have my car. I have my house. I have my little Jesus. I got, I, you know, I've got my lawnmower. No, that's not the way it works. He's your everything. And that has to come first. So, uh, Jeff, what happens? Why they don't? I don't know, but I believe that if the spiritual revival and those revivals that we've seen, whether it was the Azusa Street or whether the Jesus movement of the uh, uh, late 60s, early 70s, or today, it has to start with the invitation of, of people accepting Christ as your Savior. Look at the success. People go, wow, look at the crowds that came to hear Billy Graham. And what was the last thing that he would do? He would lead people in a sinner's prayer. He would encourage them to invite Christ in their life. And yet today we have churches that that unfortunately have 25, 30 people in them with no invitation to accept the Lord. Well, no wonder the churches aren't growing. You're, you're, you're not getting any new blood in there. You're not getting any new life. You're, 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 you're uh, just believing they're going to figure it out. Hey, listen, people need to be told, and how will they hear without a teacher? So I just would just encourage every pastor everywhere, just start giving an altar call. Just Amen. tell people, hey, repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Savior. He died on the cross for you. And whatever time we have left in this life, I'm going to give it to God and then look forward to Him giving me a great eternity eternity, and filling me with His Holy Spirit so I'll have the same zeal and love that Christ did. Daryl. Mike? Could I have one last thing? You know, you look at that great sermon on the day of Pentecost by Peter, and you saw the Holy Spirit working in and through his life, bringing scriptures back to his remembrance, leading him to all truth. And then he, he calls them to, to repentance. He says, repent from this perverse generation, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you shall be saved. And then 3,000 souls are saved. And then you keep reading it. It says what 3,000 souls did. They studied the apostles' doctrine. They fellowshiped together. They were in prayer. They broke bread together. They worshiped together. They shared with one another as anyone had need. And then the Bible says in the last verse of the chapter of chapter two, he says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You know, how's the Lord going to add to our churches if we're not giving the message of salvation or an invitation of salvation? It may not be an evangelical message, so to speak. We may just be teaching sound doctrine through the word as we're going through the Bible as we teach. But still, God is working, and if we, as pastors, we keep giving that invitation, God's going to say, I know you're going to give that invitation. I'm going to draw those nonbelievers to your church. You're going to become a magnet for nonbelievers, and I want you to keep giving that invitation because I know they're going to get invited to know my son, Jesus Christ. They're going to come to salvation. They'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to teach them the Word of God. You're going to make them disciples of my of my Son. And this is the working of God in each and every one of our lives. This is the power of God that works in our lives. I would encourage you to maybe go to your pastor. Sometimes, you know, pastors go through a lot of things. You know, sometimes they just, they need a nudge on their own faith. They feel like, oh, Lord, it's just, 
People aren't getting saved. Why even go through this? And I feel like I'm a failure when I give the invitation and nobody responds. This happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And you know what? Uh, if I could encourage pastors right now is just keep giving the invitation, man, because you have a command from the commander in chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give that invitation. And whether people come to salvation or they don't, it makes no difference. You have a command. And so we just give it out and uh, then just see what the Lord does and just trust in his work in his hand. Uh, like I said, we can't save people. God saves. and But we get, must give the invitation because it's his work. I would encourage your pastor and, and pray for your pastor, but encourage him in that thing of go ahead, man. We're, we we want to hear that that altar call to end your sermon. And if nobody comes, it's okay. It's okay. Just nobody. That's not a day of salvation for anybody here, but there'll be another day of salvation for somebody else. So word of encouragement, my friend, Mike. Amen. So being about daddy's business, so important. Chef, hope that answers it for you. Yep. I've got one other quick question. Uh, <laughs> sorry to take up so much of your time. What about Jehovah Witnesses? Do you think Satan's leading, leading them into the fiery pit without him without any, even knowing Any it? religion that says that Jesus Christ is not kurios, Jesus Christ is Lord, is of the devil. And this is one of the great things that we have to understand. When they say Jesus is just Michael the archangel, he wasn't before he was born in Bethlehem. He was in the mind of God, but he wasn't. Uh, no, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am John 8, 58, John 8, 59, they picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. This is what the cults all have in common. Jesus Christ is not God, or Jesus Christ is nominalized. I'm God, you're God, uh, that doorknob is God, uh, Satan and Jesus are brothers, you name it. They all have that in common. They all mess up the deity of Christ. And number two, there is no hell. And when I hear that there is no hell, I only know of one force in the world that wants people to believe there's no hell, and that's the devil himself, because that's his eternal place. And so by denial and by pride, having said, I will be his God, he doesn't even realize, and this is how blinding pride is, that's his eternal destiny. And this is one of the things I think that concerns me more than anything when you deal with the cults is that how can you be saved with a different Jesus? You don't confess Michael the archangel as your savior. So no, they're preaching another Jesus than we find in the Bible. And I don't care how it comes, whether it comes in two nicely dressed uh, people with ties on on bicycles, or whether it comes through your TV set, another Jesus is extremely dangerous. And this is what the Bible says in the last days they'd be doing. Any last thoughts? No, I, I agree 100%. And as we, we have to contend, as we started the program, is contending for the faith, uh, which is that basic doctrines of the Bible, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the uh, his his death and resurrection, the, the the blood atonement, the justification by faith, and so forth. All these things is is what sound biblical doctrine is all about. And it's never salvation by works; it's salvation uh, by grace through faith. And uh, so this is where we find ourselves. But unfortunately, these cults, it's all about works, and as Jesus isn't really the Son of God, He's not God incarnate. 
He's not part of, there's no Trinity in their doctrines. And that's how it is with Jehovah's Witnesses. And we pray for them. We want them to come to salvation. But yes, their destiny will be ultimately the lake of fire because they don't believe the Bible. They believe other writers and their their books and their Watchtower magazines instead of believing the word of God. And that's why we have this program to hopefully teach people this is what the Bible says. Amen. Mike? Yeah, the New World Version that the Jehovah's Witnesses use was revised in 2013 with 10% less words than the previous version. Well, if we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and they take the liberty to eliminate 10%, even in their own book, wow, that should cause concern for every person that's in that organization. Again, when we look at this, we find that you can't rewrite the Bible to suit your own beliefs. There are no Greek or Hebrew manuscripts that in any way, shape, or form will substantiate the New World Version. It is a concoction. It is a manufactured idea where they continue to scrub Jesus out of every verse they can find. You know, uh, again, Jesus said, search the scriptures in them. You think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. Well, if you go back subsequently through all their revisions, they keep finding there, there's all these verses that speak of the deity of Christ. And so they have to keep revising it, revising it, revising it to remove Jesus as deity even from their own books. Pretty scary stuff when you look at that. The latest, of course, 2013 revision, 10% less words. Jeff, stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs, okay? Thank you. God bless you, and thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Rob Bend, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Yeah, um, I really appreciate your show, and I'll get to the point. Uh, My question is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I've heard sermons where they try to lump in grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit as kind of it's all in one. And I wanted to get you guys' take on it. And by the way, I really enjoy both of your ministries. You guys are really great. So anyway, I look forward to hearing your answer. Well, God's good. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is simply all sins will be forgiven, man, Jesus said, except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what convicts us of our sins. And the Holy Spirit will come and move on an individual. You need to repent. You need to repent. You're not going to live forever. You need to repent. And we shine that on and shine it on and blaspheme. And what I mean by blaspheme is just ignoring it. Um, You can blaspheme somebody by just ignoring their existence. And this is what you do. And that sin of the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart to repent If you don't receive Christ and you don't repent of that and that invitation from the Holy Spirit, um, you'll go to hell. And that's all there is to it. I believe that there, that, that a person really doesn't commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit until, uh, they die. Uh, we know that Jesus was talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, attributing the works of God, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, to the devil, uh, and I think that's that's uh, pretty tough too, but understanding this is what a worldly person does. Oh, there is no God. That's what the fools say. So um, there's, a, there's a song for all you guys. I, this is just one of Mike's dirt trails here. There's a song by a band called One Bad Pig, and they did a lot of stuff with Johnny Cash as a Christian, and that one bad pig means one bad Gentile, okay? And one of the songs is, 
That's what the fools say. If you have a chance to listen to it, it'll crack you up because it's it's really rock and punk is what it is. But man, I'll tell you, the lyrics today you could not play on 90% of your Christian radio stations. It's just too convicting. That's what the fools say. One bad pig. Check it out. It'll crack you up. I don't know where that dirt trail went, but Daryl, your thoughts. Yeah, you know, as Mike shared about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you 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 would only blaspheme the Holy Spirit in, in your rejection of Jesus Christ to the point of death. Now, Jesus had recognized that the Pharisees of his day had blasphemed the Holy Spirit because they attributed the miracles of God to Satan. And he knew that they would never, ever repent of their sins. They were never going to come to salvation. Thus, he being God, knows all things, knew that they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and it was going to be a blasphemy for the rest of their life until they die. Now, when we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, we talk about quenching the Holy Spirit. Let me just share with you a quick passage. It's in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So in other words, if we're, if we're living a carnal life, uh, as, and we call ourselves believers and we're been born again, we're, we grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. There'll be no power. There'll be no spiritual power in your life as you live for sin or lust, whatever it might be. And yet you're got one foot in the church, one foot in the world. And you're grieving and you're quenching the Holy Spirit. It's best to get away from that and be filled with the, what's called the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. And that word dunamis speaks of the ability to do. The ability to do what? To do whatever God wants you to do. He will give you the power and you'll be doing the will of God in your life and you're going to be a very blessed person. So anyway, hopefully that helps out. Mike? Yeah, the word dunamis in the, in the, uh, for the word power of the Holy Spirit is where we get the word dynamo, not dynamite that goes bang and it's all over, but dynamo that keeps generating and generating and generating. And that's what we need. Uh, his promises, David King David said, are new every morning. So hope that helps, Rob. No, it was fantastic. I really, really appreciate it. And it really um, hit my soul that you guys are right on. And I really appreciate it and appreciate the show. And God bless and thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Stay online. We'll send you out books, DVDs, and um, we're coming up on a break here in about a minute, half a minute. Uh, and then we're going to go to Judy. Uh, and so um, anyway, again, if you have a chance to look at that, a band called One Bad Pig. And the name of the song is That's What the Fools Say. You can Google it. It'll crack you up. It's good. Hey, we're coming up on that break, and we'll be back for more right after this. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with healthcare costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 29 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. 
Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Tragically, every minute, unborn babies' futures are sucked out of existence. But amid the darkness, there's a light that shines. Preborn introduces mothers considering abortion to their unborn babies through ultrasound. Once she hears that heartbeat and sees a precious life, the majority of the time, she will choose life. I got to hear how strong her heart was I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. Preborn equips centers nationwide to save babies' lives and souls and has rescued over 200,000 babies' lives through ultrasound. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. Welcome you back to part two of Every Man and Answer here on this Thursday afternoon with Daryl Skinner. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and uh, we're going to go right back to the phones. As I said, Judy's on the line, San Jose, California. Hi, and welcome. Hi. Hi. How can we help? I wanted to know if it said in the Bible that we are not allowed to decorate our home with silver and gold. Well, I think if you were decorating your house with silver and gold, you'd be telling every thief in the world, hey, come break in here. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what, what, what is the, in, this in reference to, so maybe the listeners out there too would understand. Um, well, in Christmas, you know, there's songs and like that's just the colors you kind of decorate. And, I, and my husband said that in the Bible it says we're not supposed to decorate with silver and gold. Um, I don't know what reference he might be having, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with decorations. Uh, you're not worshiping the gold. You're not worshiping the silver. I, I'm assuming it's, uh, it's not your God. It's just a, a color. Uh, these are colors that, uh, obviously God has made. Uh, God has made silver and God has made the, the real silver and the real gold. He made all of that. We get to enjoy it. Uh, we have many references to, uh, Gold in crowns and and silver and various colors are there on the high priest's uh, outfit and so forth that he wears the uniform. Uh, we know that uh, the golden crowns are going to be cast before the Lord. So there's as as long as it's not your your form of worship or your God that it's you know priority over anything else. And the other thing is you know Christmas decorations. We're not uh, for Christians. We're not putting those decorations and worshiping some kind of uh, foreign pagan God or something like that. We, we put them up there just for the beauty and the the celebration of the time and the season. And, and we're celebrating the birth of Christ. He's truly the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and all belong to him. So I don't know where your husband might be coming from with this. And uh, I don't want to get in the, Big argument here, <laughs> so but I'll give it to Mike. Let him express his his thoughts. Yeah, it's probably out of Jeremiah ten four through six, 
And this is where it says that they go into the forest and they cut down a tree and deck it with gold and silver and they fasten it with nails and with hammers that it moveth not. Um, now, it's not talking really about a Christmas tree here. What it's talking about is they go into the forest, they cut down a tree, they then carve it into an idol, and then they overlay it with gold and silver, and this becomes their household god. Now, Jeremiah also points out, he says it's ludicrous because it's weird that with one piece of the wood that they make their idol out of, the other part of the of the log, they cut it up and use it to cook their food. He goes, how stupid. One, one you, you worship it as a god, the other one you cook your beans on it. And so he's saying that this is the how, how foolish it is. Now, for many people, I believe that uh, these kinds of things can be idolatrous. But then anything can be idolatrous. Your PhD on the wall, look, at, that makes me a somebody. No, might make you an educated fool, but it doesn't understand that. So understanding how we we uh how we understand life, how we understand our 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 things is so important that it isn't and there's no place in the Bible that talks about decorating your house with gold and silver. I that I don't know some kind of a transliteration conglomeration of one verse and maybe something else, I don't know. But it's but the idea is that Nothing is evil in itself, but it's what you make of it. And again, uh, um, you know, I've had people go so far to say, oh, if you have a picture of Jesus hanging on your wall, that's idolatrous. Well, you know, maybe if you were, uh, maybe if you were, uh, worshiping in it, yeah, it could be. Look at uh, the statues in the Catholic Church, people kissing the toes of these statues and things like that, uh, praying to the statues, uh, all ridiculous, all for no reason. Those who worship God worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, what does that mean? Not by not a religion of sight, but a faith of relating to God in faith. That's what we're supposed to do. Where we say, "Our Father which art in heaven." See, there, there's how we are to relate to God. And so, if we're relating to God through a Christmas tree decked with gold and silver. And you know, there are some songs that really trouble me at Christmas time. Oh, Tannenbaum. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. How lovely are your branches. My album's going on sale after the program. Be sure to pick up a copy. Just kidding. Um, but oh, Tannenbaum? Really? No, there's some kooky stuff in Christmas. But it's a day and a time in which the world recognized Christ was born. Great opportunity. And one thing the whole world pretty much agrees on, Christ was born. Thus, we have our date, 2023 right now, based upon the birth of Christ. And understanding that, we want to take full advantage of preaching the gospel to every creature. And so... For somebody to have a, a Christmas tree or uh, lights and tinsel on their house, no, don't let anybody judge you that way. That's not what the Bible says. But if you're going into the forest and cutting down a, 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 a tree, carving it into an idol and covering it with gold and silver and worshiping it, yeah, you're 
you're out in left field wandering around someplace. Judy, I hope that helps, dear. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, you might show him that it, it, it does not talk about uh, your house. And when it talks about decking it with gold and silver, the world is actually actually implying an overlay. And that's how they made their idols. Um, carve them out of wood, cover them with uh, thinly hammered gold. You can hammer, I think they said gold is because of its chemical uh, composition is one of the metals that can be hammered the thinnest. And uh, this is what called is called gold leaf. And they had it in those days as well. And so this was the idea. Judy, stay online. Send you out some books and DVDs. Okay? Yes. All right, dear. If you got any more questions, we're here for you. Let's go to Rick, Wyoming. Hi, welcome. Hi, how you doing today? Good. Good. So, hey, I got a question. I've been kind of struggling with my faith here. I don't know if it's just because I've been doing some studying and misinterpreting scripture or not, but um big believer, you know, I always call him Jesus all the time. And then I come to find out, you know, he likes us being called his name, you know, Yahusha and, and the father's name, Yahweh. So I'm wondering why are we calling him, by, you know, by Jesus? I mean, yeah, I mean, he wasn't Greek; he was Hebrew. So why aren't we keeping his Hebrew name? And um, you know, there's just so many things, so many questions I have. But I'll just start with that. Well, one, we know that when Jesus was crucified, there was a plaque placed above his head in three languages. Here's the King of the Jews. Um, we have issues with language, of course. Uh, we can't really even pronounce the name of of God. Um, we, we, uh, use the word Jehovah, but there's no J sound in Hebrew. So that's bogus. Um, and, and so, um, when we really start really examining it, it, it's just a transliteration into the Greek, but, uh, you know, I've always, you know, I never called my dad, Mr. Kessler. I never called him Willie or Wilbur. I always called him dad. And, um, I have oftentimes told people that I relate with my God in heaven as a child, where Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven. So I have, I really don't get hung up on names too much. Um, your thoughts? Well, Paul the Apostle wrote, they that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. When we use the term Jesus Christ, we're speaking in our English vocabulary which people of English will understand. If you're speaking in Greek, it's Jesus Christo and so forth. So, and then there's Jesus in, in Spanish. So whatever language there is, and you voice the name of the Lord Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, uh, you're, you're speaking in that language and that verbiage. So it's, it's not a, it's not a matter of, uh, should I use Hebrew? Should I use English? Should I use Spanish? Should I use Greek? It's it's using his name, and his name is translated and sounds differently in all the languages of the world. So, uh, but you know, surely Jesus knows his name, and he says, "If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son." So, when we ask, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in English, or if you want to say Yeshua Hamashiach, that's fine, whatever you prefer. So. It's up to you, but Jesus knows his name, 
and we're able to uh, declare it and proclaim it and pray in it and so forth. Mike? Hope that answers it for you, Rick. Well, no, not really, because, you know, like I say, I don't know if I was going down a rabbit hole or not, but after doing some, you know, some study, you know, and reading, and I think it's John 5, verse 43, he says, I have come in my father's name and you have not accepted me, but another will come in his own name and you will accept him. So then my mind starts thinking, okay, well, is this Jesus name made up because Constantine world and they add, you know, one of the Ten Commandments was to obey the Sabbath. And then he changed it and changed the Sabbath to a Sunday. So everyone's worshiping on Sunday when the Sabbath. Hold, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. We do not go to heaven because we worship on Saturday or Sunday. Paul says, don't let anybody judge you on new moons or Sabbaths or on high holy days. These were all a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. And so the idea then that the early church on the first day of the week, Paul says, when you come together, he was talking about them meeting on a Sunday. But I have no problem with people meeting on a Saturday. But here's the problem. You get into these groups, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah's Witnesses, we can't keep the Sabbath. That is a bald face lie. No way around it. You're not allowed to travel more than two-thirds of a mile on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to make anybody else work on the Sabbath. They get in a box on a Saturday, but that is not keeping the Sabbath according to Levitical law. And we don't keep the law according to our personal interpretation. And this is where I have a lot of problems with self-righteousness generated from somebody rather than the Word of God. Now, the reason I get upset over this is because I see people then that keep the Sabbath. Look how spiritual I am. No, you don't keep the Sabbath. In fact, you're lying by telling people you're keeping the Sabbath. I'm not denying you're not getting in a box on a Saturday. You call your building, but you certainly in no way, shape, or form kept the Sabbath. The Bible says, as we go back to the original, Sabbath was not made for God. It was made for us. It's so we would take a day off. And I thank God for the doctors and the police and the fire departments, all the paramedics that work on Saturday and Sunday to scrape us up when we splatter ourselves over the weekend. Their day of worship, their day off might be a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday. But when we go around thinking that we're something because we keep this, or we use the name Jehovah's Witnesses, well, uh, you're not Jehovah's Witnesses. There's no J in the Hebrew language. So that's pretty flaky, if you ask me. So when we really examine what the Bible says, we have a whole different concept then of where our righteousness lies. There is no good thing dwells in the flesh, Paul tells us. In other words, there is no self-generated righteousness. Oh, I keep the Sabbath. I don't eat pork. I, I, I jump over the moon. There is nothing that we do that makes us righteous, except one thing, our faith and hope in Jesus. Jesus said in John 12, I kept my Father's commandments. Then he said, you keep mine. And my commandment, he says, as you read on just a verse or two later, is to love one another. And friends, I believe, again, we couldn't fulfill the law of God. 
It was the schoolmaster that brought us the Christ, saying, we're all bozos on this bus. We're not going to do it. We're not going to be able to pass. So love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus knocked the wheels off all the Ten Commandments when he said, and all the other commandments. He said, upon these two, loving God, loving your fellow man, hang all the law and the prophets. So people begin to think, well, hey, you know, uh, and, and I understand your, your question, and I do. And I like I tell people, if you're more comfortable calling Jesus Yeshua, do that. That's okay. But don't condemn somebody because they say Jesus, because Jesus knows his own. And if you call Jesus Jesus, hey, I'm 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 you know, depending on who you are, I'm I'm a friend, I'm a pastor, uh I, I'm a husband, my kids call me dad. I got a lot of different names. That doesn't mean that, oh, no, you're, you're not calling me by the right name. Oh, I, I can't answer your prayer. No, 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 no. You've got to call me by Mr. God or Mr. Jesus or some other. This is crazy stuff. We go to God because he's God. And people try, and this is, oh, this is what I get so upset over, Daryl, is religion junks up that father-child relationship that God wants to have with us by the rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and hoop jumping. You got to join our church. You got to knock on doors. You got to sell flowers in airports. You got to wear orange. All this stuff has nothing to do with us going to heaven. I asked somebody one time, I said, so do I go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross or I worship on Saturday? And uh, they said, well, because Jesus died on the cross. I go, you got that right. So then what's the purpose of what day it is? And so when you mentioned that, I had to, because you'll usually find this question, uh, Rick, coupled with somehow entanglement of the law. Uh, you know, the dietary laws, worshiping on Saturday. Daryl, any last thoughts? Well, yeah, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we, the church, came together to break bread. Then it says on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Uh, that is First uh, Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. And then Paul also gives another reference to this in Second Corinthians 9, 12. Why does the church gather on Sunday instead of Saturday? We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest celebration of all. We gather together as believers to be in fellowship and to learn and grow in God's word as we are the body of Christ. It's important for us to realize that salvation is completely found, as Mike just shared, at the cross of Christ through his blood atonement. If I try to add anything else to my salvation, like me going to church on a Saturday or or a Sunday, whatever the case is, or knocking on doors like he shared, uh, I denigrate, I denigrate the blood atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved by faith through the blood atonement of Christ, through the grace of God. Thus you are saved. Now live for him as Mike shared. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. We gather on Sunday. Why? Because we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Simple enough. If you want to go on Saturday, go for it. If you want to go every day of the week, go for it. Amen. Let's gather together and worship God 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so on and so forth. Mike? 
Yeah, I have no problem with people worshiping on Saturday or Sunday or any day, worship every day. It's just where they say, uh, well, Ellen G. White, the <laughs> the prophetess of the Seventh-day Adventist, said worshiping on Sunday is the mark of the beast. <laughs> wow! Talk about lunacy. Revelation 13 says it's a mark on your hand or on your forehead. Well, that means what we think and what we do. Talk about going to the moon. What it says is upon. The word in the Greek means something tattooed on you, on your hand or on your forehead. A mark, name, or a number. It's not worshiping on Sunday. But I digress. Anyway, Rick, I hope that helps. Yeah, you know, that's you guys are pretty savvy with word, and that's why I was looking for someone to kind of, you know, like I said, I was a big-time believer, and and then I just started reading, and something just didn't feel right to me. Um, so I just, like I said, I just started doing some reading and stuff, and then um, so I'd ask the pastor of my church, you know, like, why if we have the Ten Commandments, then why, why you know, it says the Sabbath, that's on the Ten Commandments, and he's like, well, we're not bound to that because Jesus died for our sins. And then I said, well, Okay, I understand that part, but he also says he didn't come to change the law. He just came to fulfill it. And I just can't get, like, any direct no. answers out of it. And then especially okay, that well, verse. Let's, let's, let's real quick, because we spent a lot of time on this. But very quickly, we can't keep the law. We're, we're failures. The, the book of Galatians says that the law was the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. Now, as a believer, I believe that we should take a day off a week, not for gain, to enjoy God's creation, to enjoy our families, the blessings of God. Now, the world even has a term for it, stop and smell the roses. Well, Christians sometimes do that. Again, the Sabbath was not made for God. It was made for you. God's saying this, look, you take a day off a week, and I'll provide, I'll make up the difference for you. In other words, God says, I love you so much, you take a day off. Now, oh no, I got to keep my nose to the grindstone. I'm going to just keep doing it. They work the whole life away and miss life. I know other people, six days thou shalt work, seventh you'll rest. I know people, bums, they won't work any day of the week. They're lazy. So really, when we look at the Ten Commandments, it's the greatest psychology statement of what's wrong with humans ever written. People spend time reading Young and Freud, and they find out most of their ideas were, were out to lunch. But the Ten Commandments says what's wrong with man. By nature, we want to worship something. By nature, we think that we're God. By nature, we're thieves. By nature, we're adulterous. By nature, we're covetousness. By nature, we, we, we'll, we'll either work or won't work at all. Uh, all. All these things are part of this. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Take the Ten Commandments out of this. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, for upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. So the minute somebody starts saying, oh, the Sabbath, or no, you're not reading the new covenant that Jesus gave us. We are not under a modified Old Testament. We're under a completely new covenant in Jesus Christ. Old things passed away. All things become new. The law is what condemned us, but Jesus is what justified us. He kept all the commandments. Now all God wants you and me to do is love each other and love God. And I'll tell you, when you do that, 
great things will happen in your life. Hope that helps, Rick. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Stay online, send you out books, a couple of DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy. Let's go to Wayne, Tacoma, Washington. Hi, welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I got what might be a really easy one for you here. Um, what is your guys' take on Calvinism? I was recently totally whacked out. Uh, well, we've been at a church for two years that talks about reaching out to people and evangelism and all these wonderful things. And just last Sunday, they had a class after church that was to teach us how to reach out to people and how to evangelize. And in the middle of it, they says, well, you know, we're a Calvinistic church, right? And I about ran out of there like my hair was on fire. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what to do. I'm actually heartbroken that I might have to get out of this church because my kids are involved. My wife is involved. And yeah. I, I all your thoughts. Well, the Lord has spoken to us to preach the gospel. Paul, the apostle, has, preached, has told us that uh, if you confess your mouth to the Lord Jesus, believe your heart, God's raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Uh, we, we, we are called to preach the gospel to every creature. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, and for us to assume that Oh well, they've those that were elected for heaven, those are elected for hell. It's a false doctrine. It's a bad doctrine. We're to go forth and preach the gospel to the whole world because God loves the whole world. He wants the message of Christ taught and preached to the whole world, so they they would individually come to salvation. And that's why that's why you have evangelism. The gift, the the gift of evangelism is one of the gifts. Why are you evangelizing if just the people are chosen beforehand? There's no need for evangelism. We just sit, sit in the pew and just wait till the Lord takes us home. It's it's a foolish doctrine, and we need to go out and preach the gospel. Mike? Yeah, whenever you see the words predestined, that's all from God's perspective. Well, you can't come unless God chooses you. Well, for God so loved the world, that tells me he chose everybody, but not everybody's choosing him. And as a matter of fact, if you go to Revelation, and this is really an important verse because there's a real warning about tampering with God's word in this particular book. He says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, let those who hear say, come, let those who thirst come, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. That means whosoever will may come. Oh, no, no, not, just not the predestined one. Just because God knows the decisions we all ultimately will make does not stop any of us from making those decisions. You can't blame a videotape because the 49ers dropped the ball in the end zone when they could have made the touchdown and won the series. You can't blame them for that. You can't blame the tape for that. And just because God knows the decisions we all make doesn't stop any of us for making those decisions. So from God's point of view, yeah, we are predestined. From man's point of view, preach the gospel to every creature. Wayne, I hope that helps. Stay in line. We'll send you out some books and DVDs. I would find out more where this church stands on that topic. And if they're going to hold on to that, I think I'd step aside. I don't think it follows biblical theology. Daniel, the rest, please call us tomorrow. Thanks, Daryl. Or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 